Check, check, check. Hello. There we go. So today I'm wearing one of my hats, and it's not because of any sermon illustration. I made a mistake. After 13, 14 years of shaving my head, I cut myself really bad and uh, um, just last night. And so I figured my cap would be a little bit less distracting than a big Band-Aid that's on my head. Make a mistake. Now, there's a difference between a mistake and a sin. I didn't do it on purpose. You know, sins and misdeeds, they need forgiveness. Mistakes need to be corrected and fixed. A mistake is not intentional. Misdeeds are. But even God can take care of our misdeeds. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that doesn't mean Jesus can't save us. He absolutely can. And we also all make mistakes. But that doesn't prevent God from using us. I can cut my head and still preach. You know, when I was, my, this will, for you younger people, this will be like talking like really foreign stuff to you. But my senior year of high school, one guy showed up in our calculus class and he had a graphing calculator. It's a calculator with a big screen and you could put in a formula and it would actually make the graph. And that costs a lot of money. And we were just like, wow, a calculator graphs. Now we can all do that on our phone. You know, but at the time, that was like a big deal. And his parents spent hundreds of dollars on this for him, for take to college. And we were just like, man, graphing calculator. So when I got into college, now this is just uh, the next school year. And I think my second semester, I was taking physics. Over the course of a year, a graphing calculator went from being something that very few people had to nearly everybody in my physics class had a graphing calculator. And I didn't have one. I couldn't afford one still. And so I was just, I was, I just felt behind. I was unprepared for physics class because the assumption was everybody had a graphing calculator. And I had a scientific calculator, but I couldn't just make all these graphs. I felt unprepared and ill-equipped. And it wasn't necessarily a mistake. It might have been a mistake. Maybe I could have spent my money on something else, money that I already didn't have. <laughs> and sometimes I think we all may feel unprepared or ill-equipped, maybe for things that come up in life. Sometimes as a Christian, things may come up that's like, oh, I don't know what to do in this situation. As a leader, sometimes we don't feel equipped. Even as a church congregation, we wonder, oh, can we actually do this? And sometimes there's some excitement to it. A situation comes up that I'm not totally prepared for and got to figure it out now. And it's also sometimes a very nervous feeling to go into a situation unprepared. And our judge that we're looking at today, Shamgar, he is unprepared. One verse that we're going to be preaching from today. Judges 3.31. And it says this, After Ehud, Shamgar, son of Anath, became judge. He also delivered Israel, striking down 600 Philistines with a cattle prod. Now, this sounds like an amazing story. Wow, this guy killed 600 Philistines just with a cattle prod. But there's some missing pieces in this story. 
So Shamgar, he becomes the judge of Israel. And there's some things he just doesn't have. He doesn't have an army. Judges usually go, with the exception of Samson, who's an army all by himself, the judges go to war with an army. They rally the troops and they go fight. He doesn't have an army. Nowhere does it say that he called the people together. It's also interesting that unlike the other judges, it doesn't say that God raised him up. There's no declared call of God. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't call of God. I'm just saying it's not in the text that he was. So he has no army. We don't know that God necessarily called him to be a judge, although he might have been. And here's kind of the funny thing. Where's his sword? Now, you might say he doesn't need a sword. He's using a cattle prod. But here's the funny thing in the text that we don't get to see in English. You know what the name Shamgar means? Sword. (laughs) The man whose name is Sword doesn't fight with a sword. He apparently doesn't have one. So he's using a cattle prod. No army, no call of God, no sword. And in the end, there's also no peace. You know, with, with the other judges that we've gone through so far, it says, well, after this judge, there was 40 years of peace. After Ehud, there was 80 years of peace. Judges 5-6, Deborah is writing about the previous judges before her. And look what Deborah says. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the main roads were deserted because travelers kept to the side roads. What's he saying about Shamgar's time as judge? He says, while he was judge, people were still afraid to travel the main roads. There wasn't peace throughout the land such that people weren't afraid. No army, no call of God, no sword, and no peace. He's missing quite a few pieces here. He's unprepared, it seems. Like I said, going back to those college days, I remember times when it's like there was insufficient funds in my bank account. I used to look forward to Taco Tuesday because that was a good meal night. Sometimes when we're on our computers and we find insufficient storage, oh, I've got too many videos and pictures and stuff on my phone, and it's all I got to figure out what to do with it. Sometimes we have insufficient information to do what we need. Sometimes we all come up to times where we just don't have what we need. There's missing pieces. And I think sometimes we people have a tendency to focus on what we don't have. Sometimes we have the tendency to compare our results to other people, like Deborah is doing, comparing her results to Shamgar. Let's take a look at Jesus. What didn't he have? Well, if we take Isaiah 53.2, literally, he's not exceptionally good-looking. Isaiah 53.2 says, He grew up 
before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. It's not saying that Jesus was ugly. It's just saying he's just a normal guy. He didn't stand out. He wasn't exceptional to look at. We also know that Jesus was poor. When his parents brought him to the temple to give an offering, Luke 2.24 says they offered two turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's the offering of the poor people. Because that's the cheapest thing you could get was a couple of birds. If you had more means, you would offer a lamb. If you had even more means, you'd offer a bull. Pigeons were for the poor. And even as an adult, Jesus said in Matthew 8.20, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus told his disciples or people that want to follow him, You need to realize I'm homeless. He's not particularly good, exceptionally good looking. He doesn't own a home. And even look at the disciples that he, the specific apostles that he called. He's got four fishermen. He's got a tax collector. He's got maybe one or two zealots. Those are anarchists. He definitely has a traitor. He's got a doubter and he's got a denier. That's who, that's our Savior, if we look at what he's missing. But God used Jesus to save us. And God used his apostles to build the church. See, God can use whatever we have in his service. It's not time to look at what's missing, but what we have. And so Shamgar also has mission provisions. We see in this one small verse. Shamgar may have holy people. See, with all the other judges, it always starts with, the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God. It doesn't say that before Shamgar. So it very well may be that the Israelites were doing good. They were remembering God. He actually was living amongst the people who were following God like they should. So there was no need for them to cry out for a deliverer. He had a holy people. He also had an enemy. The Philistines were there. I'm pretty sure this is our first mention of the Philistines in the Bible. Remember from uh, when we talked in, uh, talked through the book of Amos. The Philistines are Greeks from the island of Manoa. And the big advantage that they have over everybody else in this Mediterranean region is that they have iron weapons. They're in the Iron Age and everybody else is in the Bronze Age. And so... The Philistines have gotten on their boats. They went down to Egypt. Actually, the Minoans, they weren't called Philistines, so that's what their 
people that the people down there called them. So they went down to Egypt. They almost took over Egypt, but the Egyptians managed to push them out. And so they just moved up the coast, and now they're fighting Israel. And so there's a new enemy there with iron weapons. And so this holy people does have somebody that they need to do battle with. And he has his cattle prod. Now, this particular cattle prod that I've got a picture of, that one is in the uh, Israel Museum in Jerusalem. It's about 21 inches long, and it is made of iron. This is the oldest one they found, and the fact that it's made of iron says that it's from about the 9th century B.C. That's after the Israelites have gotten iron. Shamgar probably didn't have one even that good because the judges are about 1,200 B.C. At best, he had a rod of bronze. He's probably going around with a pointy stick. He's got a cattle prod, an ox goad, about a two-foot-long pointy stick is what he's got. And he killed 600 Philistines with it. Now, we don't know exactly how he did this. You know, we have some some tales, uh, some stories in about David's mighty men where they do these great events on a single day. Eleazar in 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10. In one battle, he kills so many Philistines, it says that when the battle's over, he can't let go of his sword. His hand is just locked. In 2 Samuel 23, 8, it tells about Adino, the Tachamite. He kills 800 Philistines in one day. Shemaiah in 2 Samuel 23, 11 and 12 he takes his stand in a field and he protects that field. No Philistines are able to get in this field that he is at. He takes on an entire troop all by himself. And with Shamgar, we don't get that level of detail. We know how many it says he killed, but it doesn't say it was in one battle. It could have been. He could have just had a berserker moment where he was empowered by God and his killed a lot of people with his stick. He could have used his stick like a lever and put an avalanche down on an army of Philistines. Ancient people were smart. They knew how to use levers. He could have been an assassin. We don't know. You know, uh, on popular media, when you see uh, a ninja in the movies, they're wearing all black and, and they're sneaking around. If you actually study ninjas, they didn't dress like that. Ninjas dress like farmers and peasants and whatever. They dress like everybody else dressed because they were assassins. And if they were dressed in all black, looking all sneaky, everybody would say, oh, there's the assassin. They just dressed like everybody else so they could sneak in and kill somebody. So we don't know. Somehow he did it, though. 
using what he had, his pointy stick. It's interesting. Back in uh, 2004, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, he got in a little bit of trouble from a statement that he made. People, uh, they, we were starting to send National Guard troops to Iraq, and they didn't have all the same equipment that the regular army had. And so they were going through trash bins and stuff like trash dumps to get extra armor plating and stuff like that for their for their uh, trucks and stuff. They were calling it hill, hillbilly armor. And so he was asked, why don't we have those resources readily available to us? And... Yeah, what is the army going to do to address shortages and antiquated equipment? And he said this, and it sounded cold-blooded at the time, but it was very true. He said, you go to war with the army you have, not the army you might want or wish to have at a later time. Now, people took that as saying he didn't care about the troops. That's not true. He's just saying, we're trying, but I can't stop the war that's already happening because you don't have all the stuff you want or even all the stuff you might need. He's not saying that he's not going to give it to him. He just says, you still, we still got to go. The war's already happening. And in some cases, that maybe that's just where Shamgar was. He didn't have an army. He didn't necessarily get a direct call from God, maybe, he didn't have a sword. But we had was a holy people that needed protecting, and he had a sharp stick. So he did with what he had. And it says he did deliver Israel. <laughs> he did it. So instead of looking at what we don't have, it's good to look at what we do have. Second Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given us everything required for our life and for godliness. Says we have everything we need to live for God. Second Timothy 3.16 and 17 says that we have the scriptures. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. We, the scriptures have, give us everything we need to learn so that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We have the scriptures so that we can actually do what God wants us to do. Everything we need. Jesus, after his resurrection, he gave this commission to the disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. So we have Jesus with authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and I am with you always to the end of the age. So we have Jesus with us, who has all authority in heaven and earth, and we actually do have the commission of God to go do something. And not just the presence of Jesus, but the presence of Jesus comes through his Holy Spirit 
Because he said in Acts 1.8, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. That means even to Oakdale. We have the power of the Spirit. Like Shamgar had the Philistines, we have an enemy. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of weaknesses in heavenly places. Our enemy is spiritual. And so what we don't need is a sword or a cattle prod. But Second Corinthians says 10.4, The weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but are divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. God's given us prayer. God's given us a witness. You know, sometimes, you know, as I get older, I start to think of the things that I can't do anymore or maybe one day I won't be able to do. On Friday, Roger and I were moving two yards of dirt so that this water that's coming down now doesn't get into the church. And Friday night, I was sore. And 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been sore. I would have gone out and run five miles after. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> but it doesn't matter how old I am, I can still pray. It doesn't matter how old I get, I can still share my wisdom and experience. When I was younger, I said I didn't have money. Sometimes I still don't have money. But you younger people, you have ideas. You have energy. You have growing spheres of influence of friends. What did Jesus have? Jesus didn't have a home. Jesus wasn't rich. Jesus wasn't exceptionally good looking. Jesus delivered me with a cross. That's not much. In some ways, that's less than a cattle prod. God can use whatever we have in his service. You know, story of a bachelor, Bachelor Bob. He said, I got a cookbook for Christmas from my mom. But after checking out some of the recipes, I decided to toss it in the garbage can. Married Marvin said, oh, too much fancy work in it. And Bachelor Bob said, you said it. Every recipe began with the same words. Take a clean dish. How unrealistic can you get? <laughs> we need to realize what we have. We have so much. And there's so much work we can do for God. Let's pray.
God, you've been gracious to us. You continually restore the good fortune of your people. Beginning with the forgiveness of our sins. You give us life. You give us mercy. You give us salvation. Today we listen to you. Choose to be faithful and turn our hearts towards you. Because salvation is so near. Let us be your people who bring mercy and truth together. Let us be your people who bring righteousness and peace together. So that from us truth may spring out over the whole earth. That the prosperity will not end with us. But will go out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth even throughout Oakdale and the eastern Twin Cities. May your peace be our pathway. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Do you stand as we sing victory in Jesus?